0: Hey, Mockingcasters, RJ here. Before we begin, just a couple things. Number one, this has been a big year for the Mockingcast, Uh, a tough year, but a big year. We've seen our listenership grow by about 50%, and we're now firmly entrenched in the top 4% of all podcasts, and that's all thanks to you. So thanks for listening and for spreading the word, and we certainly hope, or at least I personally hope, that listening to the podcast has been as helpful this year as uh, recording it. So that being said, we need your support. Uh, We depend entirely on the generosity of our uh, listeners uh, to support not just this podcast, but the four other podcasts that we have, as well as the quarterly, the publications, um, the conferences, um, and the nine full and part-time employees who work so hard day in and day out to bring you uh, the good news of the gospel in a way that connects with our everyday lives. Oh, and of course the blog as well, right, where it all started. Uh, This year, we have made it really easy to give. If you just get out your uh, phone and you text MCAST, M-C-A-S-T, your phone will try to autocorrect it to NCAA football, but that's not it. M-C-A-S-T to the number 77948. You will get a link where you can either make a one-time or recurring monthly donation. And just as a reminder... Uh, you, If you make a, a recurring monthly donation of $10 or more, you will automatically receive a free copy of the amazing Mockingbird Quarterly magazine. So please take a moment to text MCAST to 77948. Okay, now for one more thing. As you're about to hear, uh, what we say in the podcast is that this will be our uh, second-to-last episode of the year, our penultimate episode but actually it's gonna be our final episode of 2020. And that's because right after we recorded, Sarah Condon received word of an unexpected or a couple of unexpected and very painful deaths in her family. And so we ask you to keep Sarah, Josh, her children, the entire Condon family in your prayers, especially as we head into Christmas. So please keep the Condon family in your prayers. And of course, we will look forward to seeing you in 2021. Thank you so much. And may God bless you.
1: Welcome to The Mockingcast, the podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm David Zoll, your host, and in just a few moments, I'll be joined by my co-hosts, Sarah Condon and RJ Heyman. We come to you every week to explore a few of the places where we currently see grace and its absence playing out in unexpected and compelling ways. glad to have you with us.
2: Part one, Ellie dreams of having a mermaid baby, not just a mermaid and not just a baby, a mermaid baby. Being the adventurous gift buyer that I am, I searched and searched and finally found a handmade mermaid baby doll on Etsy. In the pictures online, it appeared that Pearl, the doll, was wearing a veil of some sort, but no, that was her creepy and weird skin. When (laughs) Pearl arrives, I'm thrilled. I show her to several teenage students who react to her face in sheer horror. I ignore this reaction, knowing that Ellie will love Pearl. Part two, Christmas morning, Ellie wakes up and excitedly runs to the tree to find Pearl. The video is attached, so you can see the real-time reaction. Basically, she was like, oh my God, this doll is hideous. What is wrong with you, Santa? Ellie later notes that Pearl was her first indication that Santa was not real. (laughs) Part three Ellie is so grossed out by Pearl That she affectionately refers to her as Disgusting We had just watched Inside Out I come to the desperate conclusion That Pearl's hideousness lies In her strange green locks of hair I go to CVS and purchase two different Colors of hair dye and attempt to dye Pearl's hair from green to a Strong blonde My attempts fail miserably and Ellie looks to me With pity for a few days Pearl's hair is even more hideous, Mom. Please just stop. Ellie's babysitters have begun staring at my multiple L'Oreal and Claryol kits. Ellie refuses to hold Pearl. I am, of course, devastated by my failure and more determined than ever to remedy it. Part 4. The Doll Hospital. I locate a doll and teddy bear hospital in Secaucus, New Jersey. I call them immediately and discover it is run by a group of very strict and serious Germans. They take their doll and teddy bear hospital very seriously. They are interested in seeing Pearl's condition, and then they will give me an estimate for all of the cosmetic work that needs to be done to make her, quote, lovable. Poor Pearl. I ask Ellie to bring Pearl on the airplane to Tennessee to visit Leslie. Ellie refuses, pointing out Pearl's many, many hideous traits. <laughs> Part five, sending off Pearl. I pack Pearl up in a box and address it to the doll hospital. I tell Ellie that Pearl is going to the doll hospital to have her face and hair adjusted. Ellie wisely informs me that Pearl has even greater problems than those. (laughs) Then she proceeds to write on the box, please, please help this doll. She has so many problems. (laughs) Part six, I hear nothing from the Germans. Clearly, they want nothing to do with poor Pearl. I call a few times and ask about a price, offer to send money. They keep forgetting who I am until I say, my doll is Pearl, the merbaby. Then the Germans say, oh, God, yes, okay. I finally get a very expensive answer and immediately send them more money. The work begins. Part seven. I was teaching on a crisp January morning when my phone rang. I ignored it and then listened to the message between students. It was a detective from the Secaucus Police Department. He really needed to talk to me immediately. Part 8, the big reveal. The detective tells me that the Germans called the police... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) The detective tells me that the Germans called the police down to the doll hospital that morning when they removed Pearl's head to paint her... a. Expensive skin, they found two ounces of cocaine stuffed in the doll's head. The detective first suggests that the drugs are mine. I adamantly argue and insist I have never seen cocaine in my life. He relents, agreeing it would be strange for me to stuff cocaine in a doll's head and then ship it to an expensive doll hospital. Then, in what is probably the strangest conversation of my life, the detective asked me what was, quote, up with pearl (laughs) did a weird uncle put drugs in pearls head 30 years ago and then i inherited pearl i explained what ellie wanted for christmas how i found pearl on etsy and why i shipped her off to the germans the detective then said you spent money in the on this doll have you ever heard of ariel she's a pretty mermaid you can buy her at any disney store and i said detective Ariel is a grown-up mermaid. The detective said it seemed to be challenging to Ellie's mother and then went on to reveal that this is the strangest thing to ever happen at the DEA in New Jersey. (laughs) After obtaining all my Etsy information, he hung up and went to work. I called my mom to alert her the detectives from the DEA might be coming by to search the house for more drugs. She (laughs) laughs and laughs and laughs. The New Jersey DEA and Alabama DEA are now working together to plan a sting on the doll maker in Alabama. Then he said, I'm sorry to disappoint your daughter, but Pearl can't come home. She is going to be locked away in an evidence room (laughs) awaiting an international drug trial. Sorry. I hung up the phone and told Ellie, honey, Pearl is going to stay at the doll hospital for longer than we had anticipated. It turns out that she has many... Many problems. Ellie nodded and said, I told you, Mom, that doll is messed up. (laughs) The end. (laughs) Everything we do for our children, we try to get the best Christmas gift and accidentally buy a mer-baby stuffed with cocaine and become embroiled in an international drug smuggling ring. I hope all of your holidays, Christmases and new years are exactly what you planned and are mermaid and drug free. And if cocaine accidentally shows up under your tree, know that I understand that you tried your best.
1: Well, that's amazing. That is, uh, <laughs> I just, uh, you sent this out a couple weeks ago and, uh, we knew so that good. we were going to have to, uh, start the episode with it because that is a thing of great beauty. And, um, I don't know what to say except for have a have a blessed advent.
2: <laughs> I just think it's such a word of grace for all of us moms who, you know, I mean, I think a hundred years ago, first of all, kids got one toy, but you went to the store and they were like, there was a doll, there was a truck, right? I mean, there were like very few options. And now with Etsy A slingshot. I mean, you can you can make all their dreams come true. I have a friend whose daughter asked for a cloud with a hat. And she's figuring done. it out right now. Done and done. <laughs> by the cloud.
1: By the way, we will uh, include a link to pictures of Pearl uh, because the the reality is just Horrifying. as strange as the story. It's so terrifying. It's uh, this is a uh, yes, stranger than fiction.
2: Only from Alabama. Well, how is something li- like Pearl come?
1: We haven't recorded in a couple of weeks. How's life been? And and we're we're probably beginning the scramble. I just finished uh, put up the Mockingbird gift guide, and so I've been thinking about what to get for Christmas. Most of that, of course, uh, that gift guide is uh, intentionally ridiculous. But the
2: um, yeah, don't actually buy things from that.
1: <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> but uh, it is definitely on my mind, and uh, it's beginning to feel a lot like uh, Christmas time. How, how's it going? And in, in uh, Heyman and
2: Condon world. I mean, I do all my Christmas shopping really early, so no big deal, but I'm done.
1: No, you're um, not. Are you no, I'm totally done?
2: Oh I was done two weeks goodness, ago. That's crazy. Well, it's just because I learned. Good for just, you. Well, it, no, it's because if you've got two priests in the family, you have to do this stuff early because someone will get the flu and now we're in a global pandemic. So someone may get something much worse. So I just have to be prepared. So I'm pretty neurotic about it. So I have all of it. And then now it's just wrapping everything. But, um, yeah, I, I, you know, have this mom group I'm a part of, and we were all talking about like how to prepare for Advent and what we're getting people for Christmas. And, um, they had such beautiful, like simple Christmas answers. And, um, yeah, we just, we don't do that. We buy a lot of stuff. RJ, what's going on for
0: you? Uh, I, I don't know what to say, man. I'm, I'm, I'm so tired of this whole thing. You know, yeah. I'm tired of the pandemic. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, uh, it's, it's. I don't know. It's tough. It's tough. You know, people are are. Um, you know, I was telling you guys earlier. Um, People are getting married and their family can't attend, and you know people are passing away, and friends can't go to their funerals, and it's um, and we're heading into Christmas, which no one kind of knows what it's going to look like, but it's not going to look like any Christmas we've ever celebrated before, um, and so it's uh, it's a difficult time. I'm yeah. just going to say that, you know, and yeah. I'm, I'm excited that the vaccine is on the way. I'm excited for life to get back to uh, normal, whatever that's going to whatever that's going to look like, but uh, I don't know. I can't believe it's like two weeks till Christmas. Well, at least the the Washington football team um, had a triumphant thought of My poor son Spencer, who's a massive Steelers fan, was not happy that their first loss was to the Washington football team. By the way, I hear you're a bit of a sports fan, Washington fan. One of your sons is kind of enamored of that, Alex Smith, is that
1: right? We, 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 yes, it it, it took a child getting into the NFL to drag me in, so uh, here I am. And, that's so uh, good, Dave. That's fine
2: with Pokemon. You
1: chose the worst team, <laughs> just so you know. So well done. No, I didn't. The because the New York Jets are out there, and we all know that, uh, yeah, that okay, if you really true. want that's disappointment, true. you can. Uh, that's my childhood football team. If you if you're a glutton for punishment, root for the Jets. Jets. Um, yeah. Things here in Charlottesville are. Clicking along, I suppose. Uh, we every like a lot of people. We were sort of grounded for Thanksgiving because our otherwise our kids would have to go virtual again. Um, and <laughs> not uh, worth that. Not worth it. You know, <laughs> four days with my wonderful family is not worth two weeks with
2: my kids. Hundred <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent.
1: Terrible to say, but um, it, was also, it was it was it ended up being a very simple time and with beautiful weather and stuff. So I can't complain. But like you, it's filled with. Um, just this interminable waiting—not just for Advent, but for life—and and what's going what's gonna to happen? And I mean, I'm excited about these, the news about the vaccine that seems to be uh, coming. And um, praise God, fast it's incredible! And so yes. fast, yeah. yeah Though yeah, I also yeah. have a feeling we're going <laughs> to—how it gets parceled out—is going to be the subject of a lot of. Uh, conversation consternation not on here
2: yeah i um (laughs) we're not talking about it so um yeah i i I do want to say just like in case like i feel bad that i said that i was done christmas shopping in case like it caused anxiety in people like i shop early just to be clear i shop early for christmas just because i always feel like death is imminent but this year it feels more so so
1: so instead of get in the pool, you're gonna die. It's do your shopping do on your Black shopping Friday early because you
2: never know.
1: Yes. Okay? okay. Well, thank you, Sarah. Another <laughs> more words of wisdom from our a
2: color change Barbie will comfort Annie in case nothing happens to me between now and Christmas.
1: Praise the Lord, uh, and hopefully it will it will not appear to be what is it a veiled- it Won't be sc- a baby mermaid or a baby with mermaid filled with cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going we've got a, a couple of fun things to talk about today. Um, the first is library books. This was a sort of an unexpected treasure uh, uh, in the New York Times written by Ben Dolnick. Uh, in praise of library books, a small antidote to a life of perpetual dissatisfaction. Mm. And he describes, uh, wanting to buy a book, um, that he was looking forward to, but then realizing that the library, which was a couple blocks from where he lived also had it and kind of going down, deciding that maybe he needed to uh, go the library route. This is what he writes. He said, the library had for the thousandth time performed its mundane magic trick. It had vaulted me into the future. The prosaic, dog-eared, heaped by the bedside future that this book and I would, however promising our first encounter, inevitably have ended up having anyway. The initial flush of book lust promises, this book will change everything. This will be the one that finally gets you into epic poetry. This will teach you how to meditate. The library says, this book will contain a stranger's ancient receipt and will be out of your life in three weeks. In dispelling my fantasies of permanence, the library does more than save me the cost of a paperback. It provides me with a template for navigating the great sea of longing and disappointment that is life. Imagine a library of expensive clothes in which you could see the shirt you're considering spending $98 on as it will look once it has gotten an eradicable oil stain on its chest. The library, in addition to its many civic duties, can function as a great engine of personal clarity, of facing facts, of recognizing that life is not, in the main, a pristine hardcover with deckle edges. It is a threadbare thing from a few decades ago whose binding is barely hanging on, in which someone unstable once went to town with a lime green highlighter. <laughs> Library-induced realism is a great thing, one that can do much to increase your happiness. Because the world in which you are perpetually under the impression that the next book purchase, the next apartment, the next significant other will be the one that finally delivers the goods is not a life of happiness. It is a life of perpetual dissatisfaction, a life of thin and sugary highs followed by long and unenlightening lows." The library is, with its careworn and temporary offerings, as lovely and as poignant a reminder of our actual human condition as the tides or a forest and fall. To quote Penelope Fitzgerald, whose books are well worth owning, our lives are only lent to us.
2: Mm.
1: Mm. This was convicting I mean, this for me. Is, I'm, not, I'm not much of a library it? goer okay. these days. Have you
2: what? taken children to the library? First question. Yes. Okay. Have you che- let them check a lot of books out? Second question. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. How many of those books have you paid for because you could not find them? No recent
0: move. I was like, where do we yeah, get this exactly. book? Oh, from That's the Houston really Public right. Library.
2: Oh, from uh, I mean, they won't even let me in the door there at this point. So oh, like this property is of St. Martin's Preschool. So, <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> let me we, refer you to the DEA in Secaucus, exactly. New Jersey.
2: Exactly. <laughs> right. Like this is so lovely and sounds really nice when I don't have kids at home, but like they've kind of ruined the library for me because I always had this like whimsical vision of like because there are moms mostly that are on top of their lives enough that they take their kids to the library like weekly mm-hmm. and they get to like pick stuff out and bring it home and they read it and then they like must put it in a magical place where you don't lose things and then the next week and I we just we mm. go like twice a year we check out 45 books <laughs> we bring five back and I just owe the Houston Public Library a lot of money
1: I mean I haven't checked a book personally out of a library in a long time mm-hmm. and oh gosh, partly forever. he does uncover this sort of thing like, you know, I've, I've talked before about how I'm a collector and I like to be surrounded by things that, you know, comfort me or, yeah. you know, in days gone by, it's always the books you read and the books you said you read, you know, and sort of you're creating a persona through the stacks of books on your on your wall or whatever. And um, libraries, I just, I, I feel like, yeah, it, it, I w- it would do me well, I think, to have my illusion of Permanence, or the sense that this next purchase will fulfill me in any regard, whether it be books or something, you know, comic books, or whether it be, uh, you know, toys or anything on our gift guide right now. But, um... RJ, what do what you? What about you?
0: It feels like a corollary to the arrival fallacy, right? It, it, mm-hmm. Except rather than like once I once I achieve this thing I'll be happy, it's once I have this thing I'll be yeah. happy. It's a little bit yeah, more yeah, immediate yeah. satisfaction. Whether it's that new pair of shoes or or that book or uh, you know when that movie comes out or when that CD you know when my favorite band comes out with their next CD you know when Axl <laughs> Chinese Rose drops democracy his next, <laughs> ex- Chinese de- it will change everything. Chinese democracy will change everything, and you enjoy it for a little while and then and, and maybe you come back to, it. as you said, Dave, we've got some uh, nostalgia about it that you can ride out for a little while. Um, it's tough to talk about right now, though, because, you know, what we wouldn't all do for just like a little bit of relief and distraction. Yeah. You know, I, 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 was, I was talking to um, a lovely member of my uh, parish who's been struggling with some health issues, and then they thought they had it figured out, and they don't have it figured out, and they got to... Mm-hmm. Do some more tests and procedures, and she was just
1: yeah. so
0: done with it all. Yeah. You know, and she said, "She said the hardest thing is that all these coping mechanisms that we used to have, all these distractions, all these sources of joy, have been taken away." You know, and so now it's like you're 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 lonely. You're navigating this thing. You can't do anything, and you're sort of stuck with yourself. Um, so it's, it's tough. And, and that's sort of brought up in this little, um, article, right? That you can't really go to the library. has to wait for it to be, to pick it up and then drop it in the bin after, you know, afterwards. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I, I don't think I'd be so, um, attached to, uh, those little, those little shots of normalcy,
1: you know? Um, Yet there's something, to, I think, even in the midst of like a uh, health scare. The line from Penelope Fitzgerald that our lives are only lent to us, that our children yeah. are only lent to us, that our yes. vocations are only lent to us. I mean, that is not a very worldly sentiment, to be it's honest not. with you.
2: No, it's not. And
1: right. uh, this guy's writing in the New York Times, but the booming voice from the culture and, and of course, the one that is inside my own head is really that... My life is my own, and I therefore I better make the most of it. And if I don't, then uh, I have failed some cosmic test, or I don't deserve love, or w- what have you, or whether, it, maybe you, you do this with a to-do list, I, I don't know what it is, but the sense that your life is only lent to you, that it belongs to God, can be initially unsettling and scary. It's also of deep hope and comfort that like I'm not ultimately in charge and that there's another final word. That's not the number of books I read or the number of books that I say that I read. I mean, I don't know. What do you think about that?
2: I I was thinking, uh, somewhere probably halfway through the pandemic. Um, I had the thought that if I just got a new coffee table, uh, my life would be completely better. (laughs) Um, all my problems would go away. You know, our living room would have like two feet more room in it because our coffee table is too big for the living room. And Josh just kind of was like, okay, babe. Okay. I mean, whatever you do, (laughs) go for it, put on a mask, go up to pottery barn. We don't usually buy furniture there. It's expensive, but it is close. Okay. Maybe they've got good sales, whatever. So I like go up to pottery Barn, look around to determine the coffee table that most, you know, signifies the gospel in my life and uh come home and I'm like we're getting this coffee table and he's like okay he's like you know I mean the coffee table is kind of the cafeteria table for our kids right now because like they watch television every day during lunch and you know they they, it's (laughs) kind of the art table too because they tend to haul out all their glutes and and, you know they they kind of lay on it sometimes like upside down when they've watched a whole lot of television I don't know if they can do that on this small like marble top thing that you think we need from Pottery Barn. And I I was like, it was just this moment where I was like, oh, this is not going to fix all my problems. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is not to say that I don't then go, you know what? I'm going to get a new lipstick. Because that honestly is a very inexpensive way to get a similar bump. But, um, you know, it's I, I think there is something really wonderful, Dave, about what you're saying that, like, our lives are not ultimately our own. You know, Neil just had his 10th birthday and it's like, we have less time with him left in the house, you know, mm-hmm. then, I mean, we've got eight years left and um, he's such an incredible, beautiful boy. Josh is like, we got a lot of work to do, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but like, we know he will leave at some point. And, yeah, I mean that's a really it's it, it's the impermanence of things that is so freeing and also so terrifying that we kind of live in right now. Mm. Yeah. And all the time. I mean, I think there's a reason we see older people at the library a lot, right? Cuz they don't have 7-year-olds that are going to check out too many books and then lose them and they understand. Um and I've seen this in my own parents. This the temporariness of the stuff that they buy now. Do you yeah, know they, what I mean? They don't that, want like, to
1: accumulate more things. They're, yeah, they're not really? going to
2: have it for forty years. Like we're going to get it at some point. And so um, I I I think, you know, I think the prayer is that we can all move into that.
1: Mm. Anything else, RJ? It
0: feels like we've been learning this lesson for the past six months or nine months. I guess what I thought about was when we first were talking about the pandemic back in March or April. And we were living in places where it hadn't really hit yet, mm-hmm. you know, and we were being a little bit flip about it. And mm-hmm. we got an email from one of our just wonderful pastor listeners who's up in the Northeast and was like, you got to understand that the reality of what's going on mm-hmm. right now, and now we're kind of all, we're all living that. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that the idea of our, our lives being lent to us of impermanence, of uncertainty, of day-to-day existence is, is something that we are all living right in the the middle of, um, and kind of doing it alone. Mm. And it's just hard, you know? Um, So I I don't know, it's like, you know, the fact that we're in the middle of Advent, a season of waiting, a season of watching, a season of hope, I think it fits perfectly with kind of the pandemic moment we're in, and yet that's what we've been talking about for nine months. Yeah, you know, it's like we, we need a we need a little arrival at some point. I know. You know <laughs> no little, more advent. To, Down with advent. No, like <laughs> okay. come, more come on. More Christmas. Come Please. on, we're ready. We're ready. I'm like, and then at the same time, yeah, like I've been joking with my congregation. I was like, well, you know, because once we all get vaccinated, all our lives will be perfect, just like they were before. You know, mm-hmm. and of course they they and they won't be, but um, this has been time where where so many of the things that we take for granted. Just the, the ability just to get together to be around one another. You know, hopefully we won't take them for we will take them for granted again someday. But maybe hopefully not for for a little while. Hmm. You know, it, it it reminds me of yeah. You know, we moved into um, New York City right like the weekend after nine eleven, which was a crazy time to be there. Um, but there was a sense of compassion and and um, love and and sort of community in new york because that had happened that i think hadn't been there hadn't been there before um so hopefully that you know 2020 has been a hard year hopefully 2021 will be better and people you know this is maybe too much to hope for people will be more patient more joyful more that there'll be a sense of just release
1: by the way when it comes to this permanence and impermanence i had a lesson taught to me the other day and that i had (laughs) this is how Uh, ridiculous i am i had ordered some wax packs from 1985 of goonies uh trading cards because i loved the the way that the package was designed and my (laughs) sons who love goonies (laughs) had come into my office one day and they um my one of my sons i won't single him out but he took he took these unopened packs that I had like waited for, and they were not that expensive, but i had waited for them. And he went home and he opened them and he threw out the wrappers and because yeah. and, and he apparently had a long talk with my wife about um, how unfair it is that Dad gets all this stuff and doesn't share it with the kids and that it's kids stuff, it's not Dad stuff. Oh. And he was—he has a point. I've never seen him. I've never <laughs> seen him steal stuff. He actually he did. called
2: us and we were going to talk to you about that.
1: <laughs> we, I'm glad well, you brought it up. Truth so is, it was less awkward. He <laughs>
2: enjoyed he enjoyed those backs
1: a, a hell of a lot more than I have just yeah. sitting them on there. And um then the, the next week when my other... You've
0: th- now become Will Ferrell in the Lego movie. Another sign. You know, <laughs> no, I don't know. Don't touch the, the crackle. The crackle. Don't touch my Legos. I
1: was like, what is my... This, permit, this whole stuff is here to be enjoyed, not to be just gawked at. And uh, th- then another son was gotten really into Lord of the Rings, and he wanted to read the nice editions I have of them, and I was like, uh okay here you go and like yeah. within seconds you know the map had been torn out and the, yep. the and i thought to myself but this is what they're for and yes. um, i needed yeah. this sort I of totally
2: agree. sanctifying
1: yes. experience but it's funny that it took the that's that's the form it took so lord i have, have
2: a like just completely ratchet american girl doll that is upstairs in annie's room that was Discontinued. I think I could probably get $400 for it on eBay. And I was just like, here, babe. Like, it's just like, what? And I mean, like, what, what am I saving you, it for? Yeah. What am I saving yeah. it for? Go to town, give her a haircut. I don't care. You know, like, this is like meant to be played with. Yeah. yeah well, in my case, so it clearly, was also
1: like my yearning for the past getting interrupted with the the actuality of the present. <laughs> yes. And, and, and the present uh, blessing, in fact, that is. Far surpasses whatever sort of hoped for, non-existent past that i was trying to recreate in my office.
2: You know, Josh oh. says it's your fault that I'm spending so much money on eBay on uh, "It's a Wonderful Life" Christmas Village.
1: Oh, I'll, I'll accept He's that like, blame.
2: This is Dave's fault.
1: Like on the on the on the, on the other on the other hand, Sarah. We need all the comfort we can get, and exactly. if yes, it's a wonderful life. All, I'm glad
0: you both have your coping mechanisms. Recreations
1: <laughs> can give you a little bit of something to look forward they to. It give
2: me so much comfort.
1: I've seen the I Instagram got the of it. luggage
2: shop. Okay, <laughs> do you know how many people wanted that? I paid forty-five dollars for the light-up luggage shop.
1: I looked so. it up afterwards. I was like, how much does do these? It's a wonderful life. Things cost. I was like, whoa, whoa. Yeah,
2: they're they're a lot. Yeah, uh,
1: it's a beautiful, beautiful Especially thing right Bedford now. Falls. People what? are dying for a little, yeah, I nostalgia know. and. Well, speaking of uh, the present tense, this is gonna—we we rarely delve this explicitly into headlines, but here you go because this was sent a lot of our, to us. Uh, by we try
0: to stay as irrelevant as possible.
2: <laughs> we do. Uh-huh. That's our—that's actually our mission statement. You guys don't know that, but we're like it is, shooting it for irrelevance. Every I, I consider
1: it timelessness, but um, you guys call <laughs> whatever <fine>. you want. <laughs> yeah. Uh, The Rise and Fall of Carl Lentz, the celebrity pastor of Hillsong Church. Uh, uh. A long... Long uh, sort of invest- piece of investigative journalism from by Ruth Graham, a wonderful reporter in New York Times magazine. Now, those of you who don't know who Carl Lentz is, um, the he was yeah he's a pastor of Hillsong in New York, which is a um, he's also known as sort of Justin Bieber's pastor, mm-hmm. and uh, he's been photographed in that regard. So this is goes far beyond actually just the Christian snappy dresser. Sphere.
2: He is a snappy dresser. Mm.
1: He is. Uh, I'll read a, a little bit of it to you, And that, but this is really our jumping off point, not for uh, you know weighing his own... Uh,
2: We're not dr- talking about his glasses. Drama,
1: ...drama, and more about Christian celebrity itself. Uh, as for Mr. Lenz, the association with Mr. Bieber catapulted Lenz uh, as a 42-year-old into the new stratosphere of fame, in which he became not just a friend of celebrities, but a celebrity himself. He was interviewed by Oprah Winfrey and showed up on Kourtney Kardashian's Instagram. But as Mr. Lentz's profile rose, many congregants of Hillsong, New York, felt focus on fame and cultural power that had helped the church grow was overwhelming its spiritual mission. Last month, it all came crashing down for Mr. Lentz and a scandal that has cast a shadow on one of the most influential megachurches in America. And it was revealed that he'd had at least one, possibly more uh, extramarital affairs. Uh, Sexual infidelity was only one piece of the story, however. Um, Mr. Houston, uh, Brian Houston, who's the head of Hillsong, sort of international, connected uh, Lentz's dismissal to, quote, general narcissistic behavior, manipulating, mistreating people, as well as breaches of trust connected to lying and constantly lying. At a time when many Americans have abandoned regular church going, Hillsong attracts thousands of young churchgoers through soaring music and upbeat preaching. Indeed, their music is like extremely popular. If anything, Hillsong is cooler than everyday life, with celebrities like actor and singer Selena Gomez and NBA star Kevin Durant showing up at Sunday services. But there was another side to Hillsong in its most popular branch in America, according to many current and former attendees, a pastor who was so swept up in ministering to the famous that ordinary congregants felt neglected, a culture that worshipped wealth while making volunteers cater to leaders as royalty, and a sense that for all the celebrities surrounding the church, its soul was harder to find. When he did appear on Sundays, Lentz rarely mixed with churchgoers. On Sundays, a team of congregants working as volunteers prevented anyone without the right badge from wandering backstage. And only a few had clearance to enter the green room stocked with a lavish catering spread and changes of clothes to fit Mr. Lentz's increasingly particular tastes. The church seemed to go out of its way to cultivate a hierarchy of coolness, a reserved seating section for VIPs appeared at the front of the church, and then expanded to take up multiple rows. One former volunteer that said that when high-profile entertainers or sports stars would try to slip into the main seating area, content to worship with ordinary churchgoers, ushers were often instructed to guide them to the specific special section in front or to whisk them backstage to meet Mr. Lentz. The staff built this culture and made them a big deal, uh, this volunteer said. A lot of us felt torn because it doesn't feel like something Jesus would do. Now, I want to move on to what uh, commentary on this, uh, what David French wrote as the crisis of Christian celebrity. But before I do, any just sort of initial thoughts on uh, this? scenario. I've never been to a church Hillsong service, though I'm familiar with some of the music, but I also know that a lot of this was taking place right around the corner from Calvary St. George's in New York, where we have our conferences, and it was of some consternation to those who were worshiping in that uh, scenario, just the the, 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 the kind of high fashion, um, explosive popularity of this church that was in their neighborhood. But Sarah, RJ, where are you?
0: I have some thoughts. I mean, first, I'll just admit that, you know, um, Hillsong New York started roughly the same time that I also planted a church in New York City. And needless to say, it's been slightly more successful than my own endeavor. And so I'm, I'm not going to uh, pretend like there isn't a little bit of kind of like delicious oh. sinful satisfaction in his <laughs> love downfall. That you're okay, I'm just going to <laughs> just going to go. I'm just going to go ahead and admit that in this penitence. This penitentiary is why season, we love okay? you, <laughs> RJ Heyman, Yes. Um, but I think to me this is really about um, narcissism. Mm. I just want to say and I th- I think there is something inherently dangerous and a bit narcissistic about Christian leadership generally speaking okay mm-hmm. the idea that, that you that you're gonna speak for God <laughs> that you have something to say that people might want to hear that you um, that you should be paid mm-hmm. you know for for your spiritual uh, wisdom and insight and, and pastoral sensitivity and and so I think I just want to call mm-hmm. that out that um, and that that's gonna dovetail a little bit in, in the article that the next article you're gonna read Dave um, And I think there's two things that are tough about that. One is that um, the more successful, quote, you know, in the world's eyes, the more successful you become in ministry, the more you're allowed to kind of like do the things that you want to do, the things that you're good at, and maybe you are are relieved from the responsibility of not doing the things that you don't want to do. And that I think what's um, important in Christian ministry is that, you do the things that are hard. You do the things that you don't want to do. You you spend time with um, suffering people. You know, in, you know because that's what's going to keep. That's what keeps a, a person, I think, grounded in Christian leadership and doesn't allow them to get into their own head too much. Doesn't allow them to buy into any kind of myth about their own importance or um, that it's important to do the hard things. The other thing that's difficult is that it feels like, to a degree, narcissism works, right? If you if you if you think it sort of feeds on itself, and if you if you think you're the best, and other people think you're the best, there's something inherently attractive about that level of self-confidence and positivity, mm-hmm. and and um, it's just really dangerous. And lying seems to work too, because Christian people. Want to, and I think are sort of predisposed in a beautiful way to to think the best of people and to trust people and to believe people, especially their leaders. Yeah, you know, and so you can get away with lying. <laughs> um, so it's just a very it's a very difficult thing. Um, and of course, personally, I would love to reach a place where I only have to do what I want to do and don't have to do any of the stuff I don't want to do. But I know there's a danger in that. You know, that, that if, if someone um, is only, shows up on Sundays to sort of preach and teach and is not visiting hospitals, is not spending time with dying people, is not spending time with, with you know, non-celebrities, you know, th- I think there's a real danger to that mm-hmm. when when the message becomes divorced from the reality, the truth of just real life. Um, yeah, yeah. And so I, d- I find this to be a, a just a huge cautionary tale for myself and for people in positions of Christian leadership in general. Just to be very careful when you when when you start to to believe the hype about yourself a little bit too much, or you feel the need to or at all stop telling the truth, right. you know, out of a need to, to to sort of make things seem better than they actually are. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Those are my thoughts.
1: Sarah?
2: I think it's sad for me that he didn't have anything in his life that was kind of pulling him back to the ground. I'm really sad for him. I'm sad for his marriage. Um, I think it's really easy as an Episcopalian because our churches, even our biggest churches, are not that big. Um, And so I think it's really easy for us to be like, Oh well, this is the problem with these mega churches, and it's not. It's just the no. problem with people. Um, yes, and um, I might venture to say there's a correlation with gender uh, as well. Although I do know some cases of women having done this kind of thing in leadership. So that that is, I'm I, this is like a weird, sick fascination. And you should probably edit this. But I'm interested to see as more and more women get these major positions if we start to see this behavior in women. I think we've already seen a little bit of it, but it is kind of fascinating to me because it often we say, Oh, it's these men in power. Well, I don't know. It's like, that's an interesting thing to me, but, um, I'm obsessed with Justin Bieber and, uh, have followed. Uh, I mean, I follow him on Instagram. Like I know all about his marriage and the Baldwin girl and the whole thing. So I was like, Very invested in this story, (laughs) and um, so
0: Justin, if you're looking for a new pastor,
2: uh, Sarah can be reached at. (laughs) I'm here, I have really cool shoes and glasses. Ava, um, but Good Morning America, I think it was Good Morning America, uh, interviewed uh, the woman that Carlins had an affair with, and Mm. it was fascinating. Um, I, I'm, I, it was so interesting because he, you know, he lied to her. He didn't tell her his last name. He told her he quote unquote worked with celebrities, which is like so funny because, um, I actually know people who are priests who are date, who date and like, they have to be like, uh, I teach, uh, I work in nonprofits. So that was just Carl Lin's doing that. Cause it's awkward to date and say you're clergy. Um, that was a joke, but, um, she finally figured out who he was And she said, this is so interesting. She said, you know, I didn't judge him. Like, I knew he was married. I knew he had kids. But I'm, you know, I'm not a judgmental person. I didn't judge him. And I was fine with it. So they're having this affair. And then she finds out she's a pastor. He's a pastor. And then she breaks it off. Like, that was the impetus for her, which was so interesting to me. Because it's like, once she sensed the judgment of God, once she felt God coming Mm. into this, she ended it. And as a, as a pretty, as a non-believer, right? I mean, I just, my mind has been sort of like, I can't even sort that out. Like I keep like, my brain keeps trying to process what that means. And I keep wondering if, if there's something in there, you know, we talk a lot about you know, that, that we live under the law, that the law condemns us. Um, But we also say a lot that the law is there for a reason, right? Like if we were all able to live under the law, if we were all able to follow the law, like we would have really sweet, beautiful lives. And so where we often want to think that God's judgment is this horrible, horrible thing you know, on some level, David relates back to what you were saying about the library. Like God's judgment reminds us that our lives are not in our hands, mm. right? That they're actually in God's hands. And it was so interesting to me that the moment that she realized that this situation was more in the hands of God than anything else, she was like, I'm out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I'm just like, I, I think for me, it's funny. Like I thought fo- I sort of followed everything around this. Yeah. story but that just stopped me in my tracks.
1: Mm. That's so interesting because I've had I have so I have a third take on this. When it comes to Lentz specifically, I think of I wrote this article a couple weeks ago and based on some things we talked about the podcast about men in middle life being very lonely and sad Mm -hmm. and it got an enormous response to people Mm -hmm. sad clowns because, and uh, you know, because men tend not to share things on social media. They just don't do it. But so instead I'm getting text messages and guys being like, Oh, so-and-so sent this to me. And so, thank you so much. Or private emails and things like that just made it sound like it's a real thing. And one of the things I said in that article is that midlife is not in fact a time when uh, it's a time when we think we should be at the height of our powers And uh, we've mastered something when, in fact, in reality, it's the height of your need. It's the time when you are most keeping things together and you feel most confused. Most most people in their midlife, uh, you know, it's what I wish I I knew what I knew when I was 20, you know? Uh, Life has disillusioned me. And so I think of a man like Carl Lentz and not knowing him. And I think that he probably was very lonely, although that, and it's narcissism is, 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 engineered this situation where it's a lot of yes, yes, men, yes, people. And a lot of people, you know, who was invested in him continuing to look good, but the, the man himself was probably dying to be related to as just a, a person and not as a celebrity and not as the head of this thing. And so this woman came along and uh, yes, there's libido. There's all, all sorts of other things involved. But it, it, the fact that he, she, he had to tell her that he was just this dude, he, she, that she met yes. at a dog park, I think to myself, well, yes. he's trying to get back to who he was before all of this stuff encrusted around him, before he was loved for his performance. And, and in fact, just a, tr- some, just a woman was attracted to him because he was sort of a good-looking guy. Yeah. And So I can I can identify and 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 that
2: is so interesting, Dave. Yeah. In, in
1: midlife, uh, a lot of uh, people and I space say this especially about men. They feel trapped by uh, who they need to be and who they and so one day they just uh, they just react um, and they almost or it's 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 a uh, they're confused by it. I think um, and then there's a double life and we know all of the spiritual dynamics about that go into it.
0: Can I say one thing? So I, I've been a little obsessed with Conan O'Brien mm-hmm. recently. Oh, yeah. Um he did an interview with Terry Gross maybe 6 months ago or something which is re-aired because he's doing something new now. He's doing a variety show on mm-hmm. HBO and right? he's ending his TBS show and doing a variety show and he talked about a guy who's been through a lot and through a lot publicly and 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 spoken very honestly about it. But that's what I was struck by. Terry Gross talked about, I guess she was a guest on his show at one point, and she brought her husband along because he was a huge fan of Conan's. And Conan does the show, they come off the stage. Terry introduces um, her husband to Conan. Conan's very gracious and nice. And then he says, Okay, show's over. Time to go back to being depressed. You know, and, and it was and it was like a little bit of a joke, but it was also true, right? Yeah. And Conan, as you know, he's been through a lot. He's, he has done a lot of therapy and recognized that. You know, his happiest time is when he's doing the show, when he's performing, when he's up there, when he's not in his head, right? And then the rest of the time, he's kind of a little, you know, anxious and depressed and he's he's working on that. But what I was struck by with that is that because he's a comedian, he has the freedom to do that. You know, like a person in a position of of Christian leadership isn't really necessarily allowed.
2: Oh, they're definitely not allowed
0: to be a human being in that no. in that kind of way. And that's the pr- that's the the pressure that also feeds into the narcissism is like you your your to some degree your congregation needs you to be better than you actually are, yeah. more perfect than you actually are. They they need you to be available for for their whatever their needs might be mm-hmm. and not to, you know, be talking about their own. And so I, I or about your own. Um so I Dave, I think that's insightful and I, I Yes, I can only imagine the pressures that were on yeah. this guy, even if they were of his own making, and the fact that he couldn't, you know, um, he's, not gonna, he's not gonna be giving the, the, the um, commencement speech at Dartmouth, um, talking about his deep depression after losing The Tonight Show, yeah. which you've never seen a Conan's speech to Dartmouth is unbelievable, and it's like he, you know, he had a freedom, I think, right. that uh, very few pastors have until they have a spectacular failure. You know, now that he's had a spectacular failure, maybe there'll be more more freedom and honesty. Yeah, because
1: I don't want to gloss but. over what people, uh, the, the term that's almost, it's, it's always existed, but it's been, it's more in vogue these days, This uh, spiritual abuse that I think that people can mm. take advantage of your spiritual authority. But one, what struck me about the story of Carl Lenz, at least in what I've read about it, is that he wasn't sleeping with someone in the congregation. <laughs> he was, it went mm. outside of those circles. It's, because, yes. And, and that it's, to me is just, that's where I guess I, because listen, People who know uh, know that I've been very close to one of these scandals, and um, uh, some of us, uh, and and what was incredibly hurtful and awful is the lying that goes on. Um, Yes. and that is what is it, it not so much people I can it can handle it's funny I feel like I can handle sin and people mm-hmm. screwing up it's the lying it's like when you are kids it's like you know the, I can handle you going out and drinking what I can't handle is you lying to me about it
2: and lying is such a trespass and it yeah.
1: feels like an extra trespass though but I also yeah. know from reading books like um, you know th- mistakes were made but not by me that people have very elaborate ways of justifying the things that they do and how, why it was important and why it was different. And in fact, of course it's not different and it's not important, but we, and, and and Graham goes into that, but in fact, David French goes into it more deeply, so I, I'm going to read a little bit of what he has to say because I think he shed some light on this. Because this, it's only going to continue, by the way. And I think it, there before the grace of God go I, and I'm glad I've been spared. Yes. I think it's important to be as as I'm in the middle of like looking, getting an offer on books and things like that. It's like I don't. God save us from this level of, uh, you know, uh, transference. Um, David French on the crisis of Christian celebrity. He says, celebrities are human, and we know that human beings are fallen, and thus there will always be spectacular falls from grace. But must they be so frequent must they be so constant? Is there something about celebrity itself that makes the fall more likely? After all, in many of these folks, it's quite apparent that something changed. Very few people embrace a life of public ministry as part of a plan for sexual conquest. They begin with a sincere desire to preach and teach and transform lives. The same goes for making money. I mean, there may be some cases, this is Dave speaking, where people are subconsciously attracted to the influence and the power Um and the ego, but I, I would say that if you want respect and you want, uh, sex, uh, becoming a Christian pastor is not usually, the, the, I, I, <laughs>
2: there are easier, ways. there are easier ways. We'll make a, <laughs> not an intuitive nice. choice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Not the obvious.
0: Choice. He
1: goes on, he says the celebrity's apparent talent and relevant success, teach him to do the things he must not do, which is to trust himself, to believe that he or she is a person of virtue, to believe that they're important. This is particularly dangerous when talent and success almost always create both opportunity and motive for serious sin. Then French says, I've known a number of Christian public figures who haven't fallen, men and women who've lived decades in the public eye and have lived with integrity. And while they've come from different backgrounds and different strands of Christian theology, they've typically shared two common convictions. First, they don't trust their virtue. Mm. Second, they don't believe they earned their fame. A person who doesn't trust his own virtue takes affirmative steps to protect himself from a foolish fall. You don't have to map out a full bone. Pence rule to take prudent steps to guard against your own fallen nature. This shouldn't even be a matter of religious controversy. I'm reminded of these powerful words from one of America's most influential progressive atheists, tanahasi Coates, who says, I've been with my spouse for almost 15 years. In those years, I've never been with anyone but the mother of my son. But that's not because I am an especially good and true person. In fact, I am wholly in possession of an unimaginably filthy and mongrel mind but I am also a dude who believes in guardrails, as a buddy of mine once put it. I don't believe in getting in the moment and then exercising willpower. I believe in avoiding the moment. I believe the battle is lost at happy hour, not at the hotel. I am not a good man, but I am prepared to be an honorable one. So French continues, as if a person gains fame, he or she cannot, must not believe the easy laughs, the shining eyes, or the copious flattery of starstruck fans. There are reciprocal responsibilities here, It would be far better if Americans didn't treat celebrities, including religious celebrities like Greek gods. It would be far better if celebrities didn't start to believe they belong on Mount Olympus. Christian celebrities will continue to fall, but they don't have to fall so often. They don't have to inflict so much pain. Change will only come when Christian leaders remember a few painful truths. Their hearts are deceitful. They do not deserve their fame. God does not need them. Instead, Hmm. they need him.
2: That's a good word.
1: Good stuff. I would say, by the way, even if you're a person who doesn't believe your own virtue and um, don't think you deserve your fame, I still think that uh, things can happen.
2: <laughs> I still, oh, yeah. I,
1: I think that this yeah. is a, it, the only qualm I take with this piece is that he it presents it a little bit. He's, he's observing it. He's not prescribing it, but I, I hear it as a prescription. I was like, well, if I just do those things, then I, it's a silver bullet, a shield from which... I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And um, as we all know, um, there is no such th- there is such things as sin, the flesh, and the devil prowling on people um, and, and putting them in those well, situations.
2: So your will is weak. I mean, yeah. I mean, I totally agree, Dave. Because part of me wanted to be like, so basically just be a Lutheran. <laughs> but then we all know that guy. So it's like, you know... <laughs> It's, yeah, but I it's will tough. say, you know, you if you
0: look at if you look at the Bible, you know, there's nothing like what what we're talking about in the Bible, and you know, even people. I mean, the Bible just lays bare the sins of all these celebrities. Mm. You know that David uh, David is a, a murderer and, a, and 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 a philanderer, and even you know Paul. I just can't imagine when people were reading. Romans the letter and he's talking about his own struggle with sin and his incapability inability to be what he knows he ought to be and how he finds himself keep on doing keeping doing the things that he knows he ought not to do they must have been shocked you know that he's so transparent about um, his his sin his struggles his um in a way that is is convicting and and Feels a little dangerous,
1: hmm.
0: you know. Um, yeah, yeah. The way we've set up the way we've set up church, there's no heroes in the Bible except Jesus. Everyone else is a total disaster. Um, and and if they're not self-revelatory, sooner or later they 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 get sort of caught. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a weird world we're in now that feels so far from kind of the the church of the. The New Testament.
1: I think a Christian celebrity is an oxymoron. I, I don't think it can really work. I, I just don't. I mean, mm. yes, there's, um, you know, Dorothy Day and there's John Stott and there's the people that, you know, get profiled and, in and, and as being these Billy Graham, Billy Graham these otherworldly paragons of virtue, Mother Teresa, saintliness. And I do believe in something called holiness and saintliness that, that is, but it's usually never holding itself up. Um, and some people, you know, they get to the end of the race, and they they haven't basically fallen on their face in a long in a in a major way. But you talk to those even those people, and they they're more aware always of their own fallenness and their sin. That's why people were so uh, completely taken aback by Mother Teresa's diaries um, that, that revealed to a person who was tormented by her own uh, faithlessness and her own uh, yes. struggle and darkness. Um, but. I will say, but it, as it, it relates to American Christianity, celebrity and Christianity are a no-go. And the problem is that, is, unfortunately, building your own brand has become such a, such a necessity for selling books and for reaching people. If you've got a message in which you want to reach people, you kind of have to play these games. And some would say, well, maybe no, you you totally you don't. Narcissism works. You but totally narcissism did. is like... Is, is, it's rewarded a prerequisite but celebrity culture itself eats people alive i mean i was just yeah. thinking about what we're looking at with britney spears right now and i was just oh. my kids were asking me which uh parent trap do you like the best and i was like well i love the lindsey lohan one and i love the Haley mills but what think about Lindsay lohan think about michael yeah. jackson think about all yeah. these, these what fame does to people and it's celebrity awful. does to people and then you add a, a god component and mm-hmm. um of favor and 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 blessing onto that and you just have a recipe for absolute disaster. All the while, the talent is still there. I think Carl Lentz probably really did speak some grace and hope into Justin Bieber's yes. life.
2: Of course. In a way yeah. that
1: is not discounted by this by yeah. this occurrence. But the, I, the Christian celebrity is a bit of an oxymoron and God save us all from more Christian celebrities. Um, and I say that, you know, I say that to the man in the mirror. <laughs> no pun intended.
2: I just want to sing it now but I won't. I mean, I agree, Dave. I think the the push that we have to produce more and to to get more followers and to be on all these new platforms and it's it's relentless. Um, you know, there's like a pattern One of my friends jokes about, maybe we should cut this because I don't want to deal with the email fallout, but of like Christian, like conservative, starts as conservative Christian woman on, you know, social media platforms, um, gets a ton of followers, has a blog, puts up a muffin recipe, gets a little more progressive, maybe adopts a kid from another country, (laughs) leaves her husband for a woman. You know, and like <laughs> they're like, we're like, I've seen this a couple of times and my friends always like, you better not get your own blog because your marriage is going to be on the rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I think there is like this weird, which I, I do want to say, like when we see men do things like this, yes, men have done a lot more of this kind of stuff than women have, but we, women, maybe we don't have that same pattern, but we have our own pattern, you know? Yeah. And so, um... There's a
1: narcissism that can, uh, you know, we just have to look at the influencer culture, which is so driven by a lot of like, uh, my wife was showing me again, makeup tutorial videos and was just like, can you believe this one and this one and this one? I was like, oh man, unless unless they're Mormons, do not trust them. And... (laughs) (laughs) I'm
2: just it, I'm right. <laughs> Even Only if just the Mormons, they can return their library. They're books. not drinking, <laughs> and they managed to stay married. <laughs> yeah, they're not drinking. They're heavily medicated, the
1: but they're not drinking. Yeah,
2: no. I mean, I think it's you know, and then and then there's, I mean, it's interesting to me. I mean, I don't know how much we want to talk about this. We talked about it a lot, but then there's the Glory Story, right? So then these. Guys do what Carl Lenz did and then like they get somehow a second career off of it or these women's marriage. Yeah. They get a comeback. These women's marriages are over and suddenly they have deep clarity about relationships. And so they write books. And so they, you know, I mean, it's like, it's really fascinating. Like then you, you actually get to monetize your celebrity even more. And then at the end of the day, What is even left in your soul? Like, I'm just like, what is even like, what, how much emptiness is like refracting around in your heart? Like, it's just Mm. so, it's so overwhelming to me. I mean, it is why I find that whole kind of thing really terrifying. And I feel great compassion for Carl. I feel great compassion for, for Rachel, you know, I feel great <laughs> compassion for, for these people because, um, you know, I would love, I mean that the, the, the guy that gave the beautiful advice, you read, I, I, w- I wish it were that easy, Dave, but I really, really think that for so many of us, our wills are so weak, um, that we believe the lies, you know? And then we just become them. Yeah.
1: There's a, there's a prayer at the beginning of... One of the records that has really gotten me through this year is the new record by the killers, uh, Imploding the Mirage. And there's a song on there called Running Towards a Place. And it opens with Brandon Flowers saying, Give me the eyes that I may see, the good in my people and the trouble in me. Give me the hands that I may lift, the weight of another who's starting to drift. Um, I think that uh, to to see the good in other people but the trouble in yourself w- to keep you humble while also loving other people is uh is the great is the prayer for the law for all of us um, yeah so uh, where I thought we'd end with a piece that was written in two thousand twelve by the academic Walter Russell Mead, who is a uh, political scientist and uh, who works at bard College in new york um And he wrote something about the meaning of Advent for the American interest back in 2012. And it's remarkable to me. Um, As someone who is a little bit, again, rolling his eyes about the Advent craze, uh, you know, tempted to, especially in a year when everything feels like Advent. is like, enough already. Yes. But this is what he, he wrote. He said, as a kid, I could never understand why Advent was a season of fasting and solemnity in the church rather than a time of feasting and dancing. What better way to prepare for a really big celebration than to have a lot of little celebrations as you, as you approach it? What better way to get into the mood? But as I've reflected on the holiday over the years, I think I see more reason for making Advent a season of restraint and reflection rather than anticipatory fun. We can never really understand Christmas unless we understand how much we need that baby in the manger. Advent is a time to think about the ways that life without God is an empty husk. I remember Christopher Hitchens saying once that we are all like mud balls, catapulted up into the air and sailing along very nicely, but that one day all of us will hit something and go splat. Advent is a time to remember that it will all end and end in a splat. There are those who think that we should try not to think about depressing subjects like that, but in fact, the ability to face the prospect of life's end with some dignity and courage is part of what makes the rest of life rich and worth living. For Christians, and nobody else really has much business thinking about Advent or observing it, there is something else. If there is no Christmas, there is no cross, no answer to the problems of sin, separation, failure, and pain. Advent is a time to think about what life would be like if we didn't have faith in a Redeemer. A savior who is ready, willing, and able to complete the broken arc of our lives, forgive what is past, and walk with us step by step to help us build something better in the time that is left. Advent is a time to remember that we need something more than what we can summon with our own resources to make our lives work. It is a time to remember how lost we would be if someone hadn't come to find us. Thank you, Walter Russell Mead.
2: Yeah, I mean. Okay. I, um... <laughs> Here we go. I, mean, I Take
0: him down a notch, Sarah. I
2: just feel so deeply what RJ was saying earlier, and this is a little bit me putting words in his mouth, but this feels like a really long, An Advent um it just feels like we've been in some sort of a waiting period for a long time personally speaking I am already having a panic attack that Christmas will be over at some point like because I'm so I'm so desperate for Christmas like I'm so desperate for the message of Christmas I'm and I think every year I kind of have that pervasive feeling that like you know, it's almost like that, that. It's almost like Conan O'Brien saying, "Like, the show's over, so now I'm going to be depressed." Like, that's almost what like the day, even the afternoon of Christmas feels like, right? Like, it's all done, and I, and I, yes, I know all the reasons why. I, sh- I know the, about the twelve days of Christmas, um, mm-hmm. but um, I'm already worried about what it will feel like when Christmas is over, and so, mm. um, in some ways. I don't. In some ways, I don't understand this Advent at all because I feel like, I feel like it's the most Advent-y of all Advents, and I also feel like I'm trying to just really move into Christmas because um, I'm sick of waiting. So I don't know. I, I mean, I'm in a you know, I'm I'm kind of struggling a little bit. I I will say when I read this, the first thought I had, which is what I should have said instead of the F word in regards to a liturgical season is um, <laughs> that Batteries Not Included should be a Christmas movie. Yes. Say why. If you Say have, why. Because something beautiful comes from the outside, and it's these little robots that are aliens that no one explains where they came from or why they came. There's no explanation. And they save a community. They save a building in the most unexpected come from the outside is an alien life force kind of way. Uh, I got to watch. I got to
1: show that to my kids tonight. It's
2: just, we own it. It's so gorgeous. Um, And I think it should totally be like it. you know, people are watching a lot of Christmas movies and I would suggest that batteries not included is the one advent movie. Include it. Include it. Include it. Yeah.
1: (laughs) That is so true, Sarah. I just am so glad that that that's a Holy Spirit uh, suggestion. I'd love that movie so much. (laughs) It's good.
0: Rutger. I was thinking last night, you know, one of the big stresses right now, I'm sure, for pastors all across the country is still, like, what is Christmas going to look like? What is Christmas Eve going to look like? What is Christmas Day going to look like? Yeah. Um, We have a plan. You know, we have a plan. Right. um, Do you have have a plan?
2: Not a plan to vote. We've done that. Now you have another plan.
0: We have. We have a plan. Um, which is to have Christmas Eve out on our like beautiful front lawn in front of Aww. our church and it's Florida so we can do that That's right amazing. Um, as yes. long as and and we're, and we're no longer in hurricane season apparently although you never know <laughs> um but even that is starting to feel a little dangerous you know the mm. infection rate is like high and right. people are scared and right. and we're two weeks out from Thanksgiving and and um, are we gonna see uh, you know, we're in the middle of the third wave and so I was thinking, what is it, it going to look like if we don't even do that and we just have a live streamed oh. service from the church and people are at home watching it on their televisions and it just feels so lonely and terrible. And then I'm like, you know, the first Christmas must have been pretty lonely and terrible. Mary and Joseph, by themselves, far from home. You know, no room in the inn. Laying their firstborn in a manger.
2: Teenagers.
0: Um I mean yeah <laughs> they themselves. <laughs> um that yeah. strangely strangely like a Christmas celebrated at home with just your very closest family having a word of hope being broadcast to you from the outside in might yeah. be the most Christmassy possible thing. And yeah. and, and and it actually and, and it it would if that's going to be christmas it's going to require kind of a miracle for it to be christmas and and that's what christmas is every year right christmas is a miracle every year and we we need this miracle of this unexpected frail fragile quiet savior being born in the midst of the most unexpectedly difficult circumstances yeah. and that's where we are so i'm just i'm i'm not terribly hopeful about Christmas, but maybe that's exactly the right place to be. I I mean, as Mary was on donkey back, you know, great with child being, what is going on? Did I, was I, did I eat something strange for lunch when I thought I saw that angel show up? Like, this cannot be the way it's supposed to happen. And it was exactly the way it was supposed to happen. Right? God breaking in uh, in the midst of of pain and isolation, uncertainty, fear. Um, So that's my hope. Gosh, I hope I hope whatever Christmas ends up being, I hope it I hope it feels like a miracle.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. I love that, RJ. I mean, I just, yeah, I think that that's, it's funny when we're in trauma, which just to name, we're all in right now. Um, I think it's hard for us to understand where God is in it. And I think... Uh, it's. I think there's no forcing yourself to be like. I feel the Lord right now. If I just do this, I'll feel the Lord more. Which, if if that isn't like a lot of the Advent practice in Christianity, I don't know what is. It's just knowing God is there. Um, mm-hmm. That like is where I can find my rest right now. So. Wow.
1: Oh, guys, thank you. Thank you both for uh, for showing up today. <laughs> Um, that's just that's a powerful place to end and um, yeah um, thank you so much for listening and we wish you a happy happy advent blessed advent blessed advent Advent. (laughs) I gotta
2: go get started on that personal blog guys
1: this episode brought to you by Lexapro okay much love jingle bells talk to you soon Bye 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 Thank you for listening. Remember, you can find us on the web at www.embird.com and we'd always love to hear from you at info@embird.com. Audio production for the Mockingcast is provided by T.J. Hester, and if you like what you've heard, please drop over to iTunes and leave us a rating or review. Until next time.)
2: Praise the Lord.